Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, on this week's podcast, we're going to start a new series called Worship Matters. Pastor Kirk is going to be stepping us through a variety of topics and passages that focus our hearts and minds on the subject of worship. Now, if you're looking for a place to worship, a place to connect with other believers, we would love for you to come and check us out at Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and you can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com. If you'd like to give us a call and ask some questions from our staff, call us at 479-442-4634 or email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. Again, Pastor Kirk is starting a new series called Worship Matters, and he'll be sharing a message entitled The Priority of Worship from a passage in John chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. Let's listen together. Well, we begin a new series today entitled Worship Matters. And I want to say to you at the very outset that worship is the single most important thing in life. It is more important than your career. It is more important than your school. It is more important than your hobbies. Believe it or not, it is even more important than your family. Worship is the most important thing in life. Pastor and author A.W. Tozer writes these words asking these questions. Why did Christ come? Why was he conceived? Why was he born? Why was he crucified? Why did he rise again from the dead? Why is he now at the right hand of the Father? Then he answers those questions with these words. He did all of this in order that he might make worshipers out of rebels. In order that he might restore us again to the place of worship we knew when we were first created. God did all of that in Christ in order to make worshipers out of you and me. We are the rebels. And he desires to make worshipers out of us and to restore you and me to the place of worship that mankind first knew when they were first created, meaning Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God created mankind to worship. The church, the people of God, down through the ages, in whatever way that you want to view them, either as that first couple or that first family of Abraham, the nation of Israel, or the church as we know it today, the assembly of the firstborn. We were designed by God to be a community of worshipers. 
We have no higher purpose, no higher calling, no higher service than to be faithful worshipers of the one true God. I might say in the midst of all of that, the devil, Satan, is doing all that he can to rob God of the worship that is due his name. And in many people's lives, and in many so-called churches, and to a great degree in this world, Satan, at least for a time, has been successful in misdirecting praise and worship away from God to himself and to the things of this world. For something that is so important, so profound, it is, this subject of worship, incredibly so overlooked, misunderstood, and misplaced. If you were to ask the typical Christ follower to define worship, most will get it wrong, or at least have only a partial, partial answer to that question. They will think or say things like this in answering that question. Well, worship is the, is the music portion of a gathered community of believers in church. It is, it is the singing part. After all, we have a worship leader, do we not? I mean, his name is right there on our worship guides this morning. It's Jason. And he has a worship team, right? And so in many people's minds, once the musicians have left the stage, the worship portion of the service is over. So it is the music that is worship to many people. That is only a partial, partially correct answer. Some will even define it further. They will say it is a particular type or style of music. They refer to, well, praise and worship music as compared to maybe southern gospel or traditional hymns. I mean, after all, who can worship the Lord to southern gospel for Pete's sake? I say that jokingly, okay? But they think it's a certain type or style of worship. Some will say, some who are really in touch with the Spirit, will, sh- will say that, that, that worship doesn't happen until the gathered people of God began to sing and, and that there will come a time in the service that maybe they will all begin to really focus in and, and that's when the Spirit of God in some mystical way moves into the service and we feel His presence. Some have said, oh, I could tell when the Spirit got here because I felt a tingle go up my spine. I want you to know I can rake my fingernails across glass and get the same response from you. It's not a feeling. It's not a style. It's not a particular portion of the service. All those things are so much inferior to what the real meaning of worship is or even, even sinful. 
So what is worship? Let me put it on the screen for you. It's a very simple key truth, and worship is defined in this way. It is honor that is paid to a superior being. It is honor that is paid to a superior being, or in some cases, someone or something that we value and elevate their worth, that we exalt them or that ourselves to make it superior. It is paying homage. It means to give homage, to give honor, to give reverence, to give respect, to give adoration, to give praise or glory to a superior being. It can often be seen in what we give our attention to, what we devote our affection to or our allegiance to, It can be seen in what we devote our time, our talents, our treasure to. But you understand this about that definition. The word in Scripture is used indiscriminately. And what I mean by saying that is, it is a valueless concept. I'm not saying it's invaluable. I'm not saying it's worthless. I'm saying it is valueless. Worship can be devoted to God or it can be devoted to an idol. You read about it both ways in scripture. So when you read the word worship, it is not in and of itself a holy word. It is just describing a superior being are something that is highly valued by you and me. It can go both ways. We can worship in a way that honors God. We can worship in a way that is an abomination to God. So with that introduction, let's, let's move towards our text. With all of the many things said about worship in the Bible, I believe this is one of the definitive passages in all of God's Word on the topic of worship And it comes from the mouth of the Savior himself. Now, in order to understand uh, the context without having to read the whole chapter of John chapter 4, let me tell you what's happening. Jesus is on his way from Judea in the south. That's where Jerusalem is. Judea in the south. And he's headed home to the base of his operations to Galilee in the north. That's where he grew up, in the area of Nazareth. His base of operations is Capernaum at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Now, between Judea in the south and Galilee in the north is this region right here in the middle called Samaria. Now, there's a whole history here. Uh, But without taking all the time to go into it, understand that many years before, when the Jewish people of this region, what became Samaria, as they were exiled and killed and moved out, then they were replaced with Gentile people who moved in here. And so these Samaritans, for the most part, are half-breeds, part Jew, part Gentile. And the Jews hated Samaritans 
even with greater disdain than they thought of Gentiles. It was these half-Jews that were, that were more uh, worthless to them even than Gentiles. So when someone went from the north in Galilee down to Judea in the south, or from Judea in the south back up to Galilee in the north, they would walk miles out of their way not to go through Samaria. They would go over and pick up the Jordan River and walk, come up alongside the Jordan River, sometimes even crossing over into what is modern-day Jordan, and then coming back into Galilee in the north. They would not defile their feet with the dust of the Samaritan's ground. But this chapter begins in verse 4 with the words that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. No doubt his own disciples probably protested, although they made the journey with him. He had, the King James says, he must needs go through Samaria. It was not the norm. And they came to the village or the city of Sychar. This is the Old Testament city called Shechem. And Jacob's well was there. The only place in the Bible that Jacob's well is called Jacob's well is this passage in John chapter 4. But we know in the Old Testament that Jacob and his sons and their wives and the family, they stayed in this area for a long, long time and no doubt would have dug a well. And so the New Testament calls it Jacob's well. This is in the modern day city of Nablus. It is in the West Bank. And it is not a common place to visit, although several years ago I had the opportunity to do so. And to go to the Greek Orthodox Church that is built over this well. And to go to the bottom floor of that church and look down into the darkness of that well. To drop a piece of gravel that took almost eight seconds to finally hit water. You do the math and you can know that it's a deep, deep well. Large sign says, do not drink the water from this well. But when the guide was looking the other way, I took a sip. I had to. It was just a matter. Sometimes a man's got to do what a man's got to do. To drink from the same well that Jesus drank from. Didn't get sick. Thank the Lord for that. Well, Jesus comes to this well the disciples go on into the village in order to get food for them to eat. And while he's there, this is why he had to go through Samaria. A woman, a Samaritan woman, came to draw water. It wasn't the time of day. It was high noon. This was not when you visit the well. Early in the morning, late in the evening. But you see, she did not have the best reputation. She possibly was a prostitute but she at least was a serial adulteress. And so it's likely that she was not allowed to draw water at the same time as upstanding women. So she would come in the middle of the day and Jesus began to converse with her. So we take up our reading in verse 20 and it's so interesting that this conversation turns to the topic of worship of all things. But notice what's said. 
She says in verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Meaning that our people worshipped here, but you Jews worship and say we should worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I'll just, can I just go ahead and say this? We've gotten a little lazy, a little sloppy about that. Let's either declare it or let's don't. Okay, let's either declare it or don't. Let's either quit. Well, in the meantime, we'll give it one more try. This is the word of the Lord. Well, that's much better. That makes me want to preach at least an hour. Just hearing you say that. Four things this passage teaches us about the subject of worship. Number one, worship is important. Well, we said that at the very start, didn't we? Let's move on to something else. You already said that. The title of the message is The Priority of Worship. So why are we repeating it here? Well, we just need to be sure that we get it. Worship is important. Some form of the word worship, either worship, worshiped, past tense, worshiper, the person who worships. Some form of the word worship is used at least 10 times in these five verses that we read. This conversation between a a Samaritan adulteress and the Savior somehow became a theological discussion about worship and about a Messiah. Does that seem strange to you? It does to me. But I think we should not be surprised by this encounter. Understand this. We've seen it play out in recent days. That in life-changing moments, in life-defining experiences, God, eternity, Christ, all these all become appropriate topics to discuss. If you weren't watching the game, you've heard about it, you've seen replays of it, you've heard discussions about it. Just a few weeks ago when DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills experienced a violent collision and he went down on the field critically injured, some say for a few moments, very likely he was dead. They are there giving him, uh, what do you call that? Right there on the football field to the horror of everybody watching and a crowd, a, a stadium full of people who came to see a playoff game all of a sudden now were dead silent. Everything stopped. Players and fans alike became worshipers calling on God 
on-air broadcasters talked about God and prayer. At least one on-air personality on ESPN just stopped and said, we're going to pray right now on live TV. Now, I'm going to tell you something. One day before, that would get you fired. But because of what happened at this moment, on this field, on this day, all of a sudden, everybody's attention was transfixed. And for hours and for days until he began to experience recovery. Beloved, remember, we are all worshipers. Everyone here is a 24-365 worshiper, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. We all worship something or someone. And under the right circumstances, within the right conversations and experiences, we are reminded of that. In this once in a chance, once in a lifetime chance uh, meeting, what seemed like random chance meeting between this woman and the Messiah, the conversation turns to worship. We need to be aware of it. Worship is important. It is a priority. It is worship and it is important because Scripture is filled with it. This passage, 10 times the word is used. But in the whole of Scripture, 274 times we read about worship. All of life is affected by it. What or whom you cho choose to worship exposes where your heart is. For where your treasure is, is where your Heart is. What you treasure and value is where your heart is. And where your heart is, is where you will place your treasure and your value, which is your worship. It is the major theme of all of redemptive history. When you read about that scarlet thread that begins in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 and weaves its way all the way through all 66 books of the Bible connecting the law and the prophets and the poetry, the songs and the psalms and going through the gospel and the epistles and finally culminating in the great revelation, the great apocalypse of the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand that scarlet thread, redemptive history is all about worship. It is revealed in the Passover lamb of the Old Testament. In the blood on the doorpost, you find it all through Scripture as we find that Jesus is that Passover lamb. And it's all about him. Worship is the major theme of redemptive history. And it is both a command for us to obey and it is a privilege for us to be enjoyed. We have the amazing privilege to enter into the holy of holies, into God's presence at any moment of any day to exalt him and to love him 
and to give him the respect and the reverence due to his name. In the Old Testament, there was only one man living at a time that could go into the Holy of Holies, and he could only do it one time a year. But you have an opportunity to do that whenever you please because when Jesus died on the cross and when he cried out, it is finished, that veil, that thick uh, two a layered veil that shut out all light that separated the Holy of Holies where God was from the holy place, the rest of the temple. It was torn from top to bottom and flung open so that you could flood the presence of God with your praise and with your worship. Worship is important. Number two, this passage teaches us that we often miss the point of worship. We often miss the point of worship. What did this woman say? Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, he'd already told her about her many husbands and that the man she was living with at the present time was not her husband. He knew a lot of things he had no business knowing if he was not a prophet or somebody else. We know why he knew. He's God in the flesh. Maybe he had the answer for her about the conflict over worship. One of the terms that has become common in recent years is the term, quote, worship wars. Not just differences of denominations and people saying this is the place or that's the place like this woman was asking about, but churches splitting and dividing over styles of music and over styles of worship, the very thing that is supposed to unify and draw our attention off of ourselves to God, Satan has distorted and caused us to divide with each other. That is an abomination to God. We often miss the point of worship. You remember a message I preached last month, resetting the priority of worship. It was kind of a foundation message for this series that will carry us till Easter Sunday. It was the groundwork. I told you there are two aspects of worship. The first aspect I've already touched on, and that is all of life worship. That all of our life is worship. That, that individually, personally, wherever we go, whatever we do, everything in life is about worship. And that needs to be done for the honor and glory of the Lord. Okay, do your work to the honor and glory of God. Go to school and do well in school for the honor and glory of God. Love your family and serve your family for the honor and glory of God. Be a good neighbor to your neighbors as unto the Lord. Living a life of reverence and devotion to God. Let God's presence change how you think and how you talk and how you live in the world. But then there is gathered worship. Not all of life worship, but all of life worship leads to altogether worship. This is corporate worship. This is what we do like right now in church every week. Come together and let's lift our voices up to God in prayer, in song, in amens. In thanks be to God, in the way that we worship God in the Word. 
We do that to lift up, to build up, and to reach out. It's a way that we exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. We edify one another, and we evangelize the lost. Now, we can, we can commit error in both of those aspects of worship. We can be oblivious to God out there and not live an, an all-of-life worship lifestyle. We can give ourselves to sinful activities, and we can miss that. But also when we come together, we can miss it here also. This woman, she, she was focused on one thing, and it was the place of worship. Where is the right place? You see, in her day, there was also a temple in Samaria. There was a temple built there because the Samaritans could not go down to Jerusalem. And so she's asking about a place. The woman's emphasis was the place, the where to worship, Jerusalem or Samaria. Jesus' emphasis was not the place. It was the person, the person. He said if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask him for living water. And he would give you that water so that you would never thirst again. He was focused on the person. She was focused on the place. It's so easy for you and me to have our opinions about how worship ought to play out. About what kind of songs we ought to sing over forms and styles and liturgies. Everybody has an opinion on those things. But mostly what we do is we make it about ourselves. What I like versus what somebody else likes. Or maybe it's expressed sometimes like, you know, we never did it that way before. So it would be wrong for us to do it that way today. We don't need to argue over those things. Now understand that forms of worship are important. I want to give you a term that we'll talk about more later. But th there is something called, coined by theologians, the regulative principle for worship. The regulative principle. And what it means, and conservative, reformed Baptists hold to the regulative uh, form of worship. And what it means is this, that the Bible tells us what forms of worship that we are to use. That we don't have freedom to make up ways of our public worship. That the singing of the word, the reading of scripture, that prayer, that the preaching of the word, that observing the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, this is what worship is supposed to be about according to the scripture. Scripture teaches us that worship involves those things. Nowadays, understand that much of what is true worship and much of what has been done historically in the preaching of the word, in the way that we observe ordinances, in the way that we lift up the Lord in theologically rich songs, that much of that has been diminished, 
that it's about feel-good choruses, that it's about drama, that it's about dancing, that it's about all these other man-made ideas. And those things are not legitimate substitutes for what true worship is about. We don't worship God through drama and dance and man's ideas. We follow what Scripture tells us. We take self off of the throne. We practice all of life reverence to God and His will and way for our lives so that when we come together, our public worship does not go awry, but we there lift up the Lord's name together and exalt Him. So worship is important. This passage teaches us that. It also teaches us it's not unusual for us to get it wrong and to have disagreements about it. Number three, Jesus shows us what is the true heart of worship in verse 23 and 24 when he says this. This is the heart of this passage. This is why this passage will be our reference point for the next several weeks. Jesus said the hour is coming and is now here. And if it was now here in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago, it is still now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Acceptable worship, true worship involves spirit and truth. It's not an either or, it takes both. It's emotion and intellect. We need both. It is both heat and light, as Spurgeon said. Listen to these words from Pastor Sam Storms. It's a little bit of a lengthy quote, but I want you to hear it because he says it better than I could. To say that we must worship God in spirit means, among other things, that it must originate from within, from the heart. It must be sincere, motivated by our love for God and gratitude for all He is and all that He has done. Worship cannot be mechanical or formalistic. That does not necessarily rule out certain rituals or liturgy. But it does demand that all physical postures or symbolic actions must be infused with heartfelt commitment and faith and love and zeal. It's the Holy Spirit who awakens in us an understanding of God's beauty and splendor and power. It's the Holy Spirit who stirs us to celebrate and rejoice and give thanks. It's the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to see and savor all that God is for us in Jesus. Now he continues, this worship, however, must also be in truth. This is easier for us to understand, for it obviously means that our worship must conform to the revelation of God in Scripture. It must be informed by who God is 
and what He is like. Our worship must be rooted in and tethered to the realities of biblical revelation. God forbid that we should ever sing heresy. Worship is not meant to be formed by what feels good, but by the light of what's true. Genuine Christ-exalting worship must never be mindless or based on ignorance. It must be doctrinally grounded and focused on the truth of all we know of our great triune God. To worship inconsistently with what is revealed to us in Scripture ultimately degenerates into idolatry. And sometimes our idolatry is to make an idol of our favorite songs or our favorite ways of worshiping. Sometimes it's possible to worship our own idolatrous worship. So Jesus gives us the heart of worship, spirit and truth, both and. Number four, and you'll have the message, God is actively seeking true Worshippers. This is the most amazing part of this passage to me. There's that phrase at the conclusion of verse 23. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Right now, this is, this is present tense and actively true going forward from His day. The Father is looking for. Seeking after people who will worship Him. Wrap your brain around that for a moment. It comes from the very mouth of our Savior. God is in this service looking for worshipers. For people who will pay homage give respect and honor and glory to Him. God is the one who initiates worship. He is the seeker. We are the ones to be found. Our God is the one to whom the very universe bows down to and who is held and directed by Him. And the psalmist tells us that that the very stars of the heavens sing His praises. That the universe moves according to His good pleasure. And yet, He seeks frail worshipers like you and me to lift up and exalt His name. He's not only the one who initiates worship. He is the one who inspires and empowers that worship. To worship in spirit means spirit-empowered and spirit-directed worship. Every week, I seek the Lord's direction. Pastor Dan seeks the Lord's direction about what do we study, about what do we preach. Every week, Jason seeks the leadership of the Spirit in the selection of God-honoring songs. 
songs that are rich in theological truth and yet singable and yet are songs that through the melodies can bless our hearts because when you bring words and melodies together, something supernatural happens. Spirit-empowered and spirit-directed worship is what it means to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And we seek that every Sunday. And God comes here looking for worshipers. That's why it's important for you to be here in corporate worship. Because if not, he doesn't find you among the gathered church in all-together worship. He's seeking for us to lift up his name right now, here, in this place today. Do you believe that? Jesus said so. Will you commit yourself to be an all-of-life worshiper? And not only an all-of-life worshiper, but a faithful all-together worshiper? It's the most important thing of life. Father, what we know not, we ask you to teach us. What we have not, we look to you to give to us. What we are not, we ask you to make us. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.